And if you were in Bondi uh, at sunrise yesterday morning and you had your swimmers on, you would have stood out in a crowd of 2,500 nude people artfully posed for a photograph by world-famous photographer Spencer Tunick. The art event was a collaboration between Spencer and the Skin Check Champions, a charity that promotes the importance of getting regular skin cancer checkups. Before the big Bondi in the Buff event, Spencer joined me in the RN studios, both of us with kit on, I might add, and I welcomed him to the year that made me. Nice to be here. Spencer, could you tell us a little bit about you and childhood and especially when and how you got interested in photography? I am um, a fourth generation photographer. My great grandfather started the first large scale photo finishing business in New York City where the World Trade Center now stands. And so grandfather photographed at the United Nations and photographed Castro and Kennedy and then my father had a keychain photo business at, in the Catskill Mountains, which was novelty keychains that um, you look up into the light and you see a slide film of the the night before. You're, you're you know walking to dinner or walking to the nightclub. A photographer would be in the lobby of the oh. hotel, and then the next morning, while you're going for breakfast, they would try to sell you the photograph <laughs> in the keychain in this little viewer. <laughs> and so that was that was his business, and I was a photographer. Uh, for him to, you know, when I was in high school. So you really had no choice but to go into photography. It was the family tradition. <laughs> yeah, and when my dad retired, uh, he gave me uh, 75 half-frame cameras. Right. So, yeah, it was well and truly happening. Well, then, Spencer, um, I'd like to ask you to tell us about two firsts, if you could. Uh, the first time you took a photograph of someone naked and the first time you took a photograph of a person who was naked in public. Right. Uh, well, I took, I was going to Emerson College and I really couldn't find myself. I tried filmmaking, I tried sculpture, I decided to try a photography class. Um, I tried an 8 a.m. history photography class that I, I slept through, <laughs> so I got a D. <laughs> but uh, then I took a, an actual photography course taking pictures with a, a photojournalist named Steve Ships. And I fell in love with photography and, and uh, decided, well, what am I in Boston for. It's all full of kids. I need to get back to New York City. And then I did a year at the International Center of Photography. I really enjoyed that. And I honestly, my first nude photograph was photographing a girlfriend who was uh, accepting of me asking and it was for a class. And so uh, I was working with shadows coming through a window and her old school radiator and the curves of her body. And it was just a wonderful, intimate experience. And then my first street photograph was um, I connected uh, a yuck yuck root, which was this big, giant, five-meter root or tree that looked like a giant rat's tail. And I connected monofilament to each end and hung it in the Lower East Side between two streets. Mm. And then she crouched her boot, naked booty or her body, her booty into the tail like so, that was floating, like wow. maybe a foot off the ground. And she suddenly, this nude woman suddenly turned into a, like a giant creature, a giant rodent. <laughs> wow. Oh, so two, two epic firsts. But how did that evolve into what you're, you're world famous for now, which is group nudity? I wonder if you could tell us what the artistic interest is there and then also your early experiences with trying to pull it off logistically because that can be a bit of a challenge too. Well, I was working on the streets of New York and every time I take a picture, I would 
develop it and get a contact sheet. So I had this little collection of, you know, two inch contact sheets and in my wallet, I would ask people if they'd want to wake up at sunrise on a weekend with me and make some artwork. And so before you knew it, I had a whole, you know, 10 or 12 surreal photographs of nudes on the streets. So many people wanted to pose for me that I didn't have enough time in the summers to accommodate everyone. Mm. And I thought maybe I would invite everyone all at once <laughs> to pose for me at the United Nations. And that was me getting on the phone, calling maybe 50 people and telling them to meet me at the United Nations and, tw you know, 28 people showed up and I made some wonderful works in front of the UN and the police were so uh, surprised that they actually helped me and they diverted traffic and helped me make the work and afterwards the sergeant in charge of the UN police force asked me for prints for the officers that helped out. A few weeks later he called me and said hey we'd love those prints and I, I was like you're serious? And he's like yeah so I signed them and brought them up for them and uh, so I have a bunch of collectors who are police officers. There you go that's fascinating. So what year was that Spencer? That was in 94. On the year that made me we're speaking with Spencer Tunick and Spencer the year that you've chosen is 1999. Uh, why did you choose that as the year that made you? Well, I was arrested in Times Square while photographing around 150 people and uh, sent down to the tombs, which is a, a big jail cell that's filled with people who God knows what they've done. And I was told if I fell asleep, I wouldn't have my chain on when I woke up. And uh, so I... So this is a very different reaction from the police outside the United Nations. Right. This is uh, when um, the police were instructed by the DA's office to arrest me and the participants. But they would always arrest me <laughs> because you can't arrest 150 people without... You, you know, twice that many police mm, officers. Mm. Uh, it was legal for me to do my work in New York. It's instead of the mayor decided, Mayor Giuliani, Rudolph Giuliani decided rather than change the law, just arrest him and maybe he'll stop doing the works. And so the police were instructed to arrest me and stop me and not give me permits. And so I was just acting on my First Amendment rights and I was... I was within the law. They were outside of the law by arresting me. And so uh, my case from that arrest worked its way up to the Supreme Court and eventually uh, Justice Ruth Ginsburg uh, read the case and decided to uphold my right to do my work so she remanded the case back to the federal courts where I won and I later met Justice Ginsburg um, at an exhibition. I saw this woman standing in front of my work, talking about it, knowing more than my mother knows about my work. <laughs> and, then I, and then I was like, who's that? And then someone brought me over, though, this is Justice Ruth Ginsburg. And, I, and she's like a very respected uh, Supreme Court justice in the U.S. And, uh, and she was just so nice. And the last thing she said to me was, just don't do it in front of the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was sort of a message for me to do it in front of the Supreme Court. <laughs> Has that been done yet? Uh, no, I, I think it's uh, it's impossible once mm. they, uh, sadly, uh, the new abortion ban, I think that the court now is surrounded by fences. Yes, indeed. So 1999 was the year you've chosen as the year that made you Spencer. Um, but you also uh, travelled overseas that year and were part of the prodigious statements project by Art Basel and I believe it was there that you also ran into the mayor of Vienna. Uh, could you tell us about that and why it was significant? In uh, Vienna the the mayor uh, was in the booth and saw my works in New York and, say, and told the owners of the gallery 
he he would not arrest us. And if I did a project in Vienna, they would actually celebrate my work. So later that year, I was invited to do a work at the Vienna Kunsthalle. I did a large group work where I wasn't arrested, where they closed down the streets. And it was my first work where I didn't have to worry what was behind me, like, you know, any cop cars or or police, and I was able to make a work freely in Europe with no interruption. Spencer, as an artist, you're obviously uh, comfortable with and interested in uh, nudity. What's your personal relationship with nudity like, not as an artist, just as a human? I, I love going to natural hot springs uh, with my wife. I'm a very big fan of uh, soaking in hot water. You know, I would go on road trips with my wife and just hot spring road trip. I'm comfortable with my body. If, uh, Of course, I, I would love to jump in a photograph of mine, but then uh, I don't think I would be able to uh, come out and start photographing again. <laughs> so I, I think it's less about me and more about the art. One thing that's changed hugely since you uh, started in photography is access to the means of production. Everyone's got a, a camera now. And as you uh, said, it's now possible to have direct relationships with artists and audiences through a website or through social media apps like Instagram. Do you feel those things have changed your work as an artist or the way the audience perceives nudity, for example? I think I'd have twice as many uh, Instagram followers if I if nudity in art was allowed on Instagram. Mm. I think I spend so much time editing the photographs that uh, I'm, not, it's not, I'm not fluid. I'm just like always worried about my account being deleted. Artists are under attack for non-sexual nudity on Instagram. Uh, they're grouped in with pornography. There's not a proper appeals process. So an artist that is deleted for their art sometimes cannot get the 10,000 contacts that they have back. And it's years and years of work. So in a way, the, the fight that you fought in, in 1999 uh, still has to be fought in 2020 uh, in a different context, but the same sort of reservations about uh, the portrayal of nudity exist and are as sort of authority bound as they ever were. Yes, it is. And uh, it's because uh, Instagram has become the magazine of the world. And mm. if the magazine of the world is uh, deleting you and your artwork, then you've got to fight back. Well, Spencer, it's been a delight speaking with you. Thank you so much for being a part uh, of the year that made me. And we always finish this segment by asking our guests to choose a piece of music. You chose 1999 as your year. What piece of music shall we finish up with today? A song by the Magnetic Fields. Uh, it's called The Luckiest Guy on the Lower East Side. <laughs> I used to live on the Lower East Side. so and pretty lucky guy? Yeah. Spencer Tunick, thanks again. Thank you. By the gown for you to wear to the prom with Tom, the astronomer who'd name a star for you. But I'm the luckiest guy on the low east side. Cause I've got wheels and you wanna go for a ride. That was The Luckiest Guy on the Lower East Side by the Magnetic Fields. 
song chosen by our guest on the year that made me, renowned photographer Spencer Tunick, who was brought to Australia and to Bondi Beach by the skin cancer awareness charity Skin Check Champions. And Spencer Tunick is on Instagram at Spencer Tunick, and you can learn more about him and his work at spencertunick.com. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.